This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God Come what may. If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. 2 Peter 3.18 says that as Christians, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because we belong to him and growing in our faith is what we are supposed to do. It's why we can't just say, I believe in you, Lord, and that's the end of it. After all, James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe that there's one God and shudder. As my next guest says, it's what comes after you say, I believe, that makes all the difference. So we're going to talk about it today with Dr. James Emery White founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte and author of the book we'll be discussing after, I believe, Everyday Practices for a Vibrant Faith. And Dr. White, great to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm good, Janet. Thanks for having me on again. Sure thing. Well, you are addressing in this book really the importance of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and not just a mere believer. Why would you say that's such an important distinction? I work with, uh, or our church has over 70% of its growth from people who were previously unchurched, and so we're almost exclusively working with new believers, it feels like. One of the things that I was finding, though, was that it wasn't just a need for new believers to know what happens now after I've emerged from the waters of baptism. We're finding that Christians coming to us 15, 20, 25 years as a Christian had huge aspects of their life that were untouched by Christ on even the most elemental of levels, and they had no real knowledge of what to do about it. They weren't even aware of it. And so there was a growing sense within me, particularly in our day of in a post-Christian world, that we really needed, and I was hoping to write, a foundational book on spiritual growth that would really cover the essentials in a dynamic and hopefully electric way. Because so many spiritual formation books that come out, as you may know, are seemingly are written for a fairly advanced person, and yeah. I felt that we're getting increasingly esoteric. And I, I just wanted to make sure, hey, let's, let's really make sure we're grounded yeah. in the essentials of what it means to grow. Well, right, because once you become a, a Christian, you have to start growing. Uh, that's absolutely essential if you're going to be able to continue to follow Jesus and to mature in the faith. What do you say to a new Christian who says, all right, now I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I've been baptized. Now what? What do I do, Pastor? What's my first next step? Read my book. (laughs) That's why I wrote it. Um, You know, the very first thing that we try to help people with is to understand what does it mean to um, do the the three three most basic things. Read the Bible, pray, and have something dangerously close to a daily time with God, what I would call my quiet time. And so those, that, that seems very elemental to a lot of Christians. And one of my first retorts would say, oh, I know, I know that, I know that. I said, okay, are you doing it? Yes. Are you actually spending, like, like are you a private worshiper as well as a public worshiper? Are you, are you having time? Like, like, I remember when I had an accountability relationship with someone who once said, tell me two fresh things you gained from Scripture and your private devotions this week. Hmm. That'll hold you accountable. Yes. Um, and to just get away from this, oh, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, but actually praying for people you say you'll pray for. 
and having a, the, the discipline of a time with God that involves Scripture, involves prayer. And now, again, in the book, I try to make that much more than what I just said. I said it very simply, it's, but it's a very dynamic thing. It's a very vibrant, robust thing when you really get into what does it mean to pray? What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to speak through you, through the inspired scriptures that he wrote? What does it mean to have that time? And uh, I, I, would, I would start there. That's a good place to start. It's excellent. You made a good point, too, when you say seasoned Christians know all of these things. It sounds, it sounds kind of over-familiar sometimes to us. I know I need to read my Bible and pray for other people and have a daily time with the Lord. But you're right. New Christians don't know this, and this is a new concept for people who have just come to know Christ. You know, it's interesting, though. You make a really good point. You say the great spiritual deception is thinking that the appearance of spirituality is spirituality itself. We have a lot of ways of kind of trying to look like we're keeping it all together and and doing a lot of activity, maybe in church or, you know, saying I have all this theological knowledge. Look, I can define these big words, these kinds of things. Can you talk a little bit about the appearance of spirituality versus what it really makes us to be functional saints, as you describe it? Sure. I mean, just look at someone like me, a pastor. Uh, it would be the myth of feeling like be- that when I am preparing a message, I'm actually spending personal time in the Word, or when I'm leading worship, that I'm actually a worshiper. Uh, you know, it, and there is this sense where we have substituted involvements and acts and energies with actual devotion and time with God. <laughs> and so, um, uh, going back to someone like me, uh, someone could look at me and say, oh, well, here's a pastor and afford me a very high level of spirituality, when in truth, they have no idea whether I've had a quiet time in six weeks. They have no idea what I've viewed online. Yeah. And we can begin to buy our own press reports. So you can be a 15, 20-year Christian and walk around as if you were a 15, 20-year mature Christian. <laughs> and simply because you've got a lot of I don't, churchianity or a lot of knowledge. But, you know, it's the old line. It's not how many times you've been through the Bible. It's how many times the Bible has been through you. Good. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I think about that verse in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What role do I play versus the role that the Holy Spirit plays in my own Christian growth and maturity? Because that's another pitfall that sometimes we fall into, thinking I've got to do more, I've got to try harder, I've got to run faster. And yet the Bible has so much to say about the Spirit's role in sanctifying us. Can you talk a little bit about how that comes together as we are growing in Christ, how much of it is me and how much of it is the Lord working. In Ephesians, where Paul writes about be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Greek it literally reads be being filled, this ongoing, active, dynamic, daily process of keeping in step with the Spirit and cooperating with the promptings of the Holy Spirit and, and letting the Scripture, the inspired Word of God, speak to you, because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, because He wrote it, yep. and also Him impressing it upon your spirit. And so it's that constant um, walking and following and being led and guided. I will say, and I know you're not saying this, but I will say that I, I don't like a purely passive approach, though. Yeah. What, what I think Scripture gets across is, is that our, the Holy Spirit's work in our life, it's this tandem with our efforts, which is why it says we can grieve Him. Yes. We can thwart His work. And so what I have said in the book is, you already have as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to have. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Good. That's good. 
Yeah, that's right. And I do agree with you completely because I think that if you take the approach that the Holy Spirit is just going to do in me what he wants to do in me and I'm willing, but I'm just going to sit here. It's akin to that old analogy about a farmer saying, well, if God wants the crops to grow, he's going to make them grow while, while he's sitting near a pile of seeds and a hose. I mean, you have, I to be, you have to be involved, don't you? This is what God has given to you in order to you know, facilitate the growth. That's right. That's right. That's well put. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about scripture a little bit, because many times when new believers ask about the Bible, how do I begin to study the Bible? You lay a good foundation here for helping new believers understand the importance of the Bible. But where do you begin in reading it, in studying it? How do you get going um, without feeling overwhelmed? I really encourage, as much as I am a lover of Bible study and would in any type of mentoring relationship encourage uh, ever-increasing levels of Bible study, I think that early on, get a devotional relationship with Scripture, where, yes, I mean, if you're a good student of the Bible, you are studying it for the purpose of application. But initially, just read it. Just yeah. start getting it into you. Um, and I always suggest that you start off with one of the Gospels, maybe John, and then move then into something like James, and then maybe then into Genesis. Get a good contemporary translation that's faithful to the original manuscripts. And, uh, and then, you know, begin learning how to interpret what you read. And it's a, I try to cover all of that in the book. And um, in fact, the chapter is just called How to Bible, yeah. because I do think that it's important to realize that you just don't hand a, a seasoned believer or a new believer a Bible and say, hey, read and, and have at it. You, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some skill sets there. There's some learnings. There's some coachings. There's some approaches. There's some ways of going at it that really need to be understood that will just make the Bible come that much more alive in your life. Well, that's good advice because I think that just getting going is an accomplishment. Open your Bible and start reading it. It's almost like if you overthink it, you're never going to quite get going. And that's the important part of it. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Dr. James Emery White. His book is called After I Believe. Stay with us. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through May 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Dr. James Emery White is with us, founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church, a suburban megachurch in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he is author of the book we're discussing after, I believe, Everyday Practices for a Vibrant Faith, kind of helping new believers get going as far as their sanctification and growth and maturity in Jesus Christ. And one of the things in talking about Bible reading, Dr. White, is interpretation is so important. There is this kind of uh, vibe in Christianity sometimes where we look look at the pages of the Bible and try to say, how do I feel about this? What is God saying to me? You know, breaking some of those rules of exegesis, but how do you guide a new believer in interpreting scripture correctly? Yeah, I try to get him to be a good journalist. Good. Ask the good journalism questions, who, what, where, when, why, how. Ask those of the Bible, like who is speaking and who was it written to and what are the main ideas? And then once you've got those, you can dig in deeper and get into things like what was the background of the writer, what was going on at that time in history, uh, key verses in sections of the Bible. I also encourage them when they have questions to not proof text, not take something out of context, to always follow. And this, I think, is a, such an important principle. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Yes. Let the wider canon speak to it before you get too discombobulated about what it might be saying. That's good. Also read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all inspired, but I do think it is a progressive revelation, meaning an unfolding story culminating in Jesus. And so read it that way. And um, also, I have a little kind of paradigm in there about what do you do when you're trying to figure out, is it okay to do something? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to go to the Bible, is it okay to do this? And I talk in there about how you know, there's either permission, you know, you're fine to do it, it's clearly prohibited, don't, or there's just principles that apply to your situation. So if you got a clear yes or a clear no, then you've got your answer. But if it's just principles, not a clear yes or no that you're supposed to follow, then you look at the freedom you have, then the wisdom you need to bring to bear, and then also what the effect would be of practicing that or pursuing that before watching world. That's good. So there's there's, there's paradigms to go through that I think help people. Yeah, I think that is really helpful. And when you're talking about reading the Bible devotionally, having a devotional relationship with Scripture, I know that many people sometimes fall into the, the trap of merely being intellectual about Scripture and kind of you know looking at it as a textbook or something like that. Can you explain a little bit, how do you have a devotional relationship with Scripture? How do, what is the difference for those who would have a question about it? Yeah. I, I think that the difference is, is that when I'm reading Scripture, 
um, I am going at it with, this is God talking to me. Mm-hmm. And so when I finish reading whatever I might have read that particular morning, uh, my, my prayerful response is, God, what are you saying to me through this? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to stop doing? Mm. What do you want me to think? What do you want me to stop thinking? Where have I been graceless? Where have I been legalistic? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to ask to forgive me? And so when you approach it devotionally, you're approaching it very much like, I'm with my father. And, and, and I, and I want to know what he's saying to me through this. Not in a relativistic kind of existential, overly personalized way where, you know, the Bible's, you know, this is what the Bible says to me kind of stuff like that can get out of hand. Yes. I mean, in an obedient, loving relationship. God, what are, you, what are you saying to me? I want to submit to it. That's good. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit shows up for those attitudes in those moments. For and, sure. And we'll make it very clear. For and Scripture is not unambiguous. It's very clear on 99% of the things where it's often unclear simply because we don't want to hear what it says. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What about prayer? As you mentioned before, it's so important that prayer is a regular part of our lives. We're to pray constantly, but we're also to pray for people and pray for the needs of the church, pray for ourselves, these sorts of things. How do you cultivate a good prayer life? You know, one that really becomes a habit. Well, one of the things that I do in the book is I spend some time walking through the Lord's Prayer so that we first understand how to pray. What does it feel like? What are, what are the kinds of uh, attitudes and, and postures we should be taking? But um, I'm, I'm really clear with people. I, I've, I, I think when we pray, I think it's easy to lose your track of mind, and you can kind of get off base, and you can get distracted. And so I've followed a simple acrostic myself for years. It's ACTS, A-C-T-S. And it stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supply. Love it. And I think that's a great kind of rhythm as you pray. Just you, know, you spend some time just telling God how you feel for Him, that you love Him, and who He is to you, and, 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 and then confessing your sins, not in a neurotic kind of way, but in a very natural way that's relational. And, um, and then thanking Him. Every good and perfect gift is from Him. And then supply. We all have things that we need in our life, and he says, you know, ask. You know, I mean, uh, so we ask. The answer is up to him, but um, he has invited us to make our needs known and to make the needs of others known that we pray for. So that's very helpful for me as a discipline to make sure that I'm I'm praying and staying on track with prayer and praying the kinds of things I need to pray and to have the right things brought to mind. Yeah, I love that. The same one, Acts. I've been using that myself for years, too. I love that one. That's And that's really easy to remember. And I like the order of how you're praying, you know, adoration, then confession, then Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and then supply. What about the issue of answered prayer? Now, this sometimes can trip up any Christian, but especially for a new believer. If a new believer is coming to the Lord and asking for a particular thing in prayer and looking at verses saying, we know that we have what we've asked him, you know, that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked we asked of him, First John five fifteen. Um, how important is it to stress to a new believer? Just because you pray for something in a particular way does not necessarily mean you will get everything you ask for. That sometimes comes up. I know with Christians oh, who are it comes up with people of all numbers of levels of maturity. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that Christians wrestle with is uh, unanswered prayer is one of the biggest things or. Uh, the mysteries of prayer. And I always begin with a simple theological statement that I believe there is no such thing for the Christian as an unanswered prayer. Good. Excellent. No such thing. Now, here's where it gets tricky. 
how God answers. <laughs> yes. Because what never enters our mind that the answer may have been no. Mm-hmm. Or the answer may have been, um, I'm not prepared. Uh, you're not ready for this. What you're praying for, you're not ready for. This is, this is, you know, there's some issues with you that we need to walk through. Uh, it may even be positive issues, but it's still there's, you're not ready. Another one could answer could be, um, uh, the timing is really off on this, and, and you don't even know it. You're praying for this, and you don't even realize that the timing is wrong. Sure. Or the answer could be yes. I mean, in the book, I kind of did it like the answer could be no, slow, grow, go. <laughs> but I, uh, and I do believe that those are probably the four basic foundational uh, answers. We only like, we only feel though that unless we hear yes or go, it's as if God didn't answer. That's true. And that's not true. That's true. And as you go along in the Christian life, you can think of all, it's like the old uh, Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. You can look back at your unanswered prayer and say, now I understand, Lord, why you didn't say yes because of what you wanted to work in my life. That takes time, though. I mean, that comes with, with years sometimes of being a Christian, seeing that in retrospect. You know, there's an old line I tell my theology students, providence is a doctrine best seen in retrospect. Beautiful. Yep. That's right. That's absolutely right. The other thing you stress, and I want to make sure we get to this before we run out of time, because it's so much fun talking to you about this, but spending time with God, you advise Christians to find a time and a place. Why the place? Why The time we understand, but why the place? What is the importance of that? Well, because you need the time to be protected, and you need the time to be in a place where um, you're not distracted where you feel, I, for me, this may be speaking more to my own personality, where you really feel that sense of alone mm. and some solitude and some silence. And uh, I also feel, and I don't, I don't have any scriptures for this particularly, but, um, you know, I do think that there's something about going to the same place that makes it hallowed ground for you mm. and special. It's kind of like how um, uh, uh, Daniel would always go to the same place to pray right, and the same time of day. But the main thing is protected, protected time. Well, that's good. And and we all need that. I mean, it's great. And and would you advise, you know, just having your Bible with you and just spending time that time with the Lord? Yeah, I do. I mean, I mean, I do think that there's a place for journaling. Uh, I tend to do whatever journaling I do when I take more extended retreats. Um, but uh, some people like to journal their prayers. Mm-hmm. And I don't I think that it, we need to be careful not to put the practices and the various ways into too tight of a box, because then we might project our personality onto someone. So I try to keep it to the basics, but I just bring a Bible, but some people like to journal and and along with all that, and, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, that's right. As far as spiritual growth goes, one of the things that we also struggle with as Christians is what kind of progress am I making? And that can make you crazy because in truth, there are many aspects of the Christian life where you don't know how you're doing. You might think I'm doing great. God is so pleased with my advance in sanctification. And in fact, you're, you're not advancing the way that you might have thought. How much would you advise a Christian to pay attention to his or her own progress in spiritual growth such that it doesn't become pharisaical. Yeah, or neurotic. Or neurotic, yeah. Yeah, um, I think that C.S. Lewis put it best when he said that uh, the nearest thing to normalcy for a human being is a series of ups and downs. Yes, right. The law of undulation, he calls it. And, uh, you know, you want over time to see it on an a upward trajectory, but quite frankly, it's, it's a series of ups and downs. That's the nearest thing we have to normal. So the way I tend to talk about it, is, um, so are you more like Jesus now than you were a year ago in any 
place? Hmm. And, and if the answer is no, then, then okay, we might, we, let's do some digging into that. If you don't think you're more like Jesus now than you were a year ago anywhere, maybe, maybe we need to do some things to jumpstart some stuff and look at this. And, but um, I, I think that's the larger question, not in a comprehensive every aspect of my life way, because, again, that, uh, that would be um, uh, rare for a normal human being. But is there, are, are there parts of your life where you're more like Jesus now than you were a year ago? I think that's a fair question. Well, it is. And there's so much in this book you can really take to heart as you are trying to grow in Christ. After I Believe by Dr. James Emery White. So good to talk to you again, Dr. White. Great book, and it was great talking to you. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for being here. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. This is kind of an interesting story. The New York Times reports... That with the Pope's consent, the Vatican says that priests could not bless same-sex unions, calling any such blessing not licit. The ruling, they said, that the church should be welcoming toward gay people is there, and they say they should be treated with respect, compassion, and sensitivity, but not their unions. Catholic teaching holds that marriage between a man and woman is part of God's plan, and since gay unions are not intended to be part of that plan, they cannot be blessed by the church. Makes sense to me. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the Vatican's doctrinal watchdog, issued the judgment in response to questions raised by some pastors in parishes, Catholic parishes, that sought to be more welcoming and inclusive of gay couples. The prefect of the congregation, Cardinal Luis Ladaria, said the decision did not imply a judgment on people involved, nor a form of unjust discrimination. You know what? It, to me, it just seems a little silly that you even have to add that caveat, except for the fact that you have so many liberals in the Catholic Church who will be pushing for this and saying, oh, we have to go in this direction. We don't want to be discriminatory. It's kind of a, I don't know, who knows where it's going to end up. The issue had emerged more forcefully in recent years after the Pope asked bishops to develop projects and pastoral proposals, quote, so that those who manifest a homosexual orientation can receive the assistance they need to understand and fully carry out God's will in their lives. Close quote. Blessings of same-sex unions had been advanced as one sign of inclusiveness, and the Vatican said in its note that such projects were often motivated by a sincere desire to welcome and accompany homosexual persons. Well, you can imagine what some of the reaction to this news has been, because there is no finding some kind of third way with gay activists. You're just not going to be able to do it. It's their way or the highway, and you will be the subject of all kinds of hurled insults if you don't do it their way. This is just where we are in our society now. CNN's Don Lemon, who himself is a homosexual, reacted to this Vatican declaration that God cannot bless same-sex unions. And he had what I would say is completely predictable answer. Listen to the views Megan McCain posed the question. The question itself is just kind of interesting uh, and not in a good way. Listen to cut one. 
You got engaged to your fiance, Tim, in 2019, <laughs> and this morning, and you guys are so cute, we learned that the Vatican has said that the Catholic Church won't bless same-sex unions, quote, since God cannot bless sin. They go on to say that this does not imply a judgment on persons, but I want to know, do you think this sends a damaging message, and how do you feel about that, given that obviously you are now engaged and going to get married? Well, I think there are, listen, I respect people's right to believe in whatever they want to believe in their God. But if you believe in something that hurts another person that, or that does not give someone the same rights or freedoms, not necessarily under the Constitution because this is under God, uh, I, I think that that's wrong. And I think that the, the Catholic Church and many other churches really need to reexamine themselves and their teachings because that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. Oh, really? Which Bible are you reading? It's kind of interesting. Everybody has the right to believe what they want to believe. But if you believe opposite from what I believe, then you're just wrong. You're just wrong. Imagine if the roles were reversed and you had a Christian pastor sitting there and saying the same thing in reverse, but taking the biblical position. Do you think Megan McCain might have some kind of pushback or do you think she would be saying, you're just so awesome, your marriage, your nuclear family is fantastic? It would never happen. And then, of course, Don Lemon has to pivot to the subject of race because with gay activism, they always want to go back to the fact that they equate it with the civil rights movement. And I love I I cannot remember who originated this comment, but this wonderful black Christian said at one point, don't equate your sin with my skin. Well said, but Don Lemon didn't get the memo. Listen to cut two. And to put it in the context of race, I find that, uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated place on earth, uh, time on earth was 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So I think that religion and the pew keeps us from actually, they're barriers from people actually getting to know each other. So I would say to the Pope and the Vatican and all Christians or Catholics or whomever, whatever religion you believe out, you, you happen to belong to out there, go out and meet people and try to understand people. And do what the Bible and what what Jesus actually said, if you believe in Jesus, and that is to love your fellow man and judge not lest ye be not judged. So instead of having the pew hinder you, having the church hinder you, instead of being segregated in the church or among yourselves, go out and have a barbecue. Wait, Wait a minute. Joe Biden said we can't. We can't have a barbecue. It's against the law. It's against the COVID rules. What are you suggesting, Don Lemon? We can't get together and have a bar. Okay. What he's trying to say there in not so clear terms is that if you don't approve of homosexuality, even if the Bible says homosexuality is sin, the problem is you because you just don't know people. Well, why does a church have to change its doctrine in order to get to know people? That doesn't even make any sense. You can get to know anybody. And I don't understand why that would be a hindrance, but what it really is is code for accept us, accept our sin, accept our identity, accept our orientation. And I reject the issues of identity and orientation when it comes to homosexuality. I think that's just a way to remove any sort of moral responsibility in the whole equation and, and you know, facilitate this entire lie that's been put out there for years that you're born that way when clearly you're not born that way. I have lots and lots of examples of this. But this is the whole thing. Don't judge. Well, you know what's interesting? I would find that a little bit contradictory for you to say something about not judging if you don't think that there's room for judgment. And what I mean by that is this. If you don't have any moral compass at root in your conscience, then it wouldn't bother you if anybody judged you, would it? 
If I prefer daffodils to roses and somebody who loves roses comes along and looks at me disdainfully because I like daffodils, why would I care? It doesn't matter. It's a neutral issue. If I like daffodils and you like roses, that's a matter of preference. That's not a matter of moral right or moral wrong. And that's not the case here. So it's it's interesting how much is packed in. Another thing is this issue of Jesus and what he has to say about judging. He also said we should judge with righteous judgment. And I go back to the Got Questions site with the question, what does the Bible teach about Jesus as judge? This is something they don't often talk about, but Jesus states how he has been given the authority to judge by the Father. He says in John 5, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Jesus came into the world to save those who put their trust in him, but his coming also brought judgment. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus brought judgment to Satan. And furthermore, unbelievers will ultimately be judged by the Lord Jesus. He will act as judge over believers and unbelievers. At the Bema seat of Christ, he will judge believers' works after salvation to determine reward or loss of reward. This judgment has nothing to do with salvation as believers' eternal destiny is secure in Jesus. Rather, believers will receive rewards according to how faithfully they served Christ. But by contrast, unbelievers will be judged by Christ at the great white throne judgment. This is in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Again, this judgment has nothing to do with their eternal destiny. At that point, unbelievers have already sealed their fate by rejecting Jesus. The great white throne judgment determines the severity of unbelievers' punishment based on what they did in life, Revelation 20:12. Notably, all the people at this judgment are thrown into the lake of fire because their names were not found in the book of life, which means they rejected Christ's free gift of salvation. He also will preside over the sheep and goat judgment. I know the progressives love the sheep and the goats of Matthew 25. And some interpreters equate this judgment with the great white throne judgment, but there are many notable differences. A major one being that the judgment is based on how people treated Jesus's brothers, that is the people of Israel. And it goes on, but bottom line is Jesus is going to return as a judge. He's going to be judging unbelievers And that's the one thing that people don't want to talk about. Everybody is so concerned about being as nice as possible and as loving as possible without any kind of moral outrage of any kind. How in the world can you go through life and have no moral outrage of any kind when you see sin all around you? If you're a Christian, you hate your own sin and you hate other people's sin. You don't hate other people, but you hate sin because you see what sin does. Sin destroys people and sin will send you to hell if you don't repent of it and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So this is the big discussion that is not being had out there in the society that so readily accepts everything LGBT, but is just horrified by true Christianity. And there's more to come. Oh boy, is there more to come. You're not going to want to tune out on here because this is really quite a story I'm going to tell you. Stay with us. We'll be back. Hi. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. In many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, and Mozambique, nine of 10 Christians are denied God's word by corrupt governments and majority religions. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me. And now it will mean so much to these Bibleless Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor Abel. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, and a limited time match will double your gift and help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Please call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through May 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start Start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. By the way, with the Vatican saying it won't bless same-sex unions, keep in mind Pope Francis has just put out a new book and he's calling for the establishment of a new world order. So, you know, you can give a little hat tip here and there. Okay, good. You're not going to bless same-sex unions. But no, we're not on the new world order train. Thank you very little, Pope Francis. I'm glad to be a Protestant. At any rate, I got to get to this story because we were talking about the Vatican's decision not to bless same-sex unions and the outrage of some in the LGBT community, of course. It's just another day. Uh, but this story really blew my mind. This is from Juicy Ecumenism, and they do a lot of coverage of the mainline liberal denominations, and it's just getting wackier by the day out there. Listen to this story. This is just amazing. With the United Methodist Churches recently announcing its general conference would be rescheduled, further examples of the denomination's rift over human sexuality are rising to the surface. The implementation of the church's teachings and official doctrine, or lack thereof, continues to cause discomfort as camps with vastly different beliefs await an expected separation. Now, one such case comes from the Illinois Great Rivers Annual Conference, which covers the state except for its northernmost portion. IGRC's Vermilion River District Committee on Ordained Ministry recently unanimously approved Isaac Simmons, an openly gay man and publicly practicing drag queen as a candidate for ministry. Not only that, Mr. Simmons 
works at Hope United Methodist Church in Bloomington, Illinois, as their project and remote learning coordinator. And he also studies business management and religious studies at Illinois Wesleyan University. When performing as a drag queen, Mr. Simmons goes by the name Ms. Penny Cost. And in this role, he performs both independently and at times as a part of Hope Church's Sunday services. This is where we are now. This is where we are now. The Methodists who were once known for holiness now have drag queens performing in Sunday services, performing in Sunday services. And I was watching a number of different videos of this man dressed as a woman and in the most outlandish outfits and the most outlandish makeup and wigs you can possibly imagine. On his public Facebook page, Mr. Simmons shares about his spiritual life and his latest activities in drag as Penny. On February 7th, for example, Simmons, dressed in drag, had several minutes of screen time in Hope Church's live-streamed Sunday service. He begins by describing poet laureate Amanda Gorman's poetry performance at the inauguration and compares it to how Moses was called by God to speak for his people. <laughs> I can't get through it without laughing. It's completely absurd. I did watch part of the video. I, sh- I-, I didn't want to bother you with it. It was so out there. But I am going to play something else. Because earlier in the year, on January 19th, Simmons, appearing as drag queen Penny, put out a short video titled On the Move Together, A Drag Queen's Prayer. Now, you want to see where all this theology ends up, folks? You're going to hear it for yourself. Let's listen to cut three. In the name of God, the mother, the father, and the trans-identifying person of color, I pray that all those who hear my voice today may experience the liberating power of your love and grace, O God, that they may join with me in the marvelous movement of a justice-filled moment of transition. May we all receive the, the ability to see ourselves as we truly and clearly are. Oh, that's a little ironic. Because he's standing there in a dress and a wig and this heavy makeup, and he's talking about being who we really are. (laughs) You're not being who, you're a man. You're not being who you really are. And what is with the theatrical blasphemy? I mean, it's just complete blasphemy how he addresses this prayer in the beginning. I don't even want to say addresses God, but in the name of God, the mother, the father, and the trans identifying person of color. Where are you even getting all this? He's just making it up as he goes. And the theatrics are just crazy. The over-emoting. And it's like he pulled out every bumper sticker he could remember and, and tried to string it together in some kind of pep talk that is absolutely without any real content. He goes on. I want you to listen to the rest of this. And and maybe you could, you know, you can email us and tell me what he actually is saying, because I can't figure it out. Other than this is just stringing together nice sounding bumper stickers that he got from the human rights campaign in the mail and trying to make it sound religious. This is nuts. Listen to cut four. Blessed, beautiful, purposeful, and filled with a potential energy. We are on the move together. It is together that we will break free from the idle thought of now and into a state of active prayer of limitless imagination. For it is in this moment, 
in this movement, in this town, in this church, in this world, that we are together. For we are never alone. If all you have is a single shard of glass, if all you have is the handle of your cup, rejoice. For together we have the common gift of glue, the common gift of community, for we are the body of Christ's church, for we are resources for one another. Together we can heal ourselves and each other and the world around us, so we may bring down the kingdom of heaven into our midst. Go forth into this world. You are loved and you are celebrated, Hope Church. That was one theatrical word salad. Didn't mean anything. There was all kinds of happy little phrases, but none of it meant anything. We're on the move together. We're moving from idle thoughts of now into limitless imagination. It's like something you'd put over a Disney ride. Limitless imagination. Bored here. You have to be this tall. I mean, that's what it sounds like. We're never alone. If all you have is a shard of glass, remember we have the common gift of glue. What? What does that mean? That we're going to usher in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is something that that breakaway Methodist denomination that I told you about a few weeks ago. This is the same language they use. They don't say kingdom. They say kingdom. Very, very clever. We can heal ourselves and each other in the world and we are the body of Christ church. No, no, you're not. You're not. You're not. What does any of this mean? And here's the thing. Who would get up on a Sunday morning or whenever they hold their services and listen to this? It's empty. There's nothing there. It's social justice on steroids. It's pro-gay theology on steroids. It's just how man-centered can we be and still call it church? How can we imbibe all of the values of this world, which Jesus told us to leave behind and follow him before we get to the spot where we say, this is out of control and this doesn't have any resemblance to Christianity? And this is the direction they're going. But this man's going to be in ministry. This man, openly gay and a drag queen, a practicing drag queen, is now on the road to ministry. He, they approved him unanimously as a candidate for ministry in this United Methodist Conference in Illinois. I mean, of course, the United Methodist Church is going to have to split. There's just no doubt about it. But it's incredible. Listen to this. In January, this man also shared a nearly 30-minute video of himself speaking and praying the rosary at home while dressed in drag. I have news for you, Mr. Simmons. Um, United Methodists don't pray the rosary. You know what, though? Maybe they do. I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't even say that because what do I know anymore? Maybe the rosary is all the rage among liberal United Methodists now. I should really not say that out of turn. I should really investigate it. But he said his goal in wearing drag was to bridge the gap between spirituality and queerness to show that they are not mutually exclusive. Well, the point is not spirituality. The point is forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. It's heaven and hell. As sinners, we are condemned 
and under the wrath of God. And the only way to escape the wrath of God for being the rebels and lawbreakers that we are is by throwing ourselves on his mercy and saying, I believe in your sacrifice for sin on the cross and your resurrection from the dead on the third day and your ascension into heaven. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you will return one day for me, not because there's anything good in me, but because you are my righteousness. And in your grace and mercy, you have had that kind of love for me that you would go to the cross on my behalf when I certainly never deserved it. That's what Christianity does. It, it, it doesn't turn you into some super spiritual Gnostic sort where you can separate your identity from God's moral law. This, this has no resemblance to Christianity. And it just breaks my heart to see more and more and more of these denominations just going off the rails. Stay faithful, Christian. Stay faithful. Stay in your Bible. Obey the Lord as he's laid out for you in his word, in his word alone. We have so many forces coming against us as Christians. Don't fall for it. Thanks for joining us. We've got to leave it there, but we'll see you next time right here on Janet Meffer Today. This hour of Janet Meffer Today has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.